Today I'm reading from John 17, verses 1 to 12, NIV. It's in your bulletins. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you, you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, while I was with them. I protected them, kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except one doomed to destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. This passage in John 17 magnifies Jesus Christ and speaks of him in such a way that uh, to understand this is to understand why we're Christians and why we make much of Jesus. Uh, this is Jesus' longest recorded prayer in the Bible, so uh, you could really call this chapter the Lord's Prayer. And uh, you have probably learned something that you call the Lord's Prayer. You should probably call that the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer. This is Jesus' prayer before his crucifixion. This is what he prays for, and it's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. In uh, verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself, prays for himself that God would glorify him. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for, for their protection and sanctification. And in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for all believers. Please prays for you and me, you and I. And uh, he prays for our unity in verses 20 through 26. So three separate sections, kind of three large big prayer requests. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, Jesus' request to glorify himself. Jesus' prayer for himself. Notice the request in verse 1 and verse 5. Verse 1, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Request, glorify me. Uh, glory is a big word. It means the outward manifestation of greatness. Being able to see the splendor demonstrable splendor and beauty of a thing or person 
That is its glory. It's used in John for Jesus' incarnation. It says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in a sense, everything Jesus did was a display of His glory and a display of the glory of God. Jesus coming into this world was a display of the love of God. The love of God's invisible. He makes it visible and outwardly seen how wonderful it is by coming into this world as a man and going to the cross. Uh, we saw Jesus' glory when he turned water into wine, when he talked with a woman at the well, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, when he washed the disciples' feet. All these are outward displays of the greatness of Jesus Christ. That's his glory. The greatest display of his glory is on the cross. Jesus says this in John 12, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the cross is the display of the glory of Jesus Christ, displays his love and his mercy and his compassion. And then that brings us to John 17. Glorify me. And now he means something a little different because he says, Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. Give me all of that glory and splendor and majesty that I have given up for this life on earth. I have laid it aside. But now give me that glory again, the glory I had with you before the world began. He's now looking beyond the crucifixion and beyond the victory of the resurrection. He's looking to his ascension, and he's looking to the seating at the right hand of God. And then I thought about it, and I thought, this is a really selfish prayer. Does Jesus pray selfishly? Okay, that's the right answer. I want you to think about it. seems like it's selfish. Glorify me. That's what he's praying. By the way, he's telling God to do it, right? It's a command. Glorify me. Glorify me. Now, why isn't it selfish? Well, the rest of the chapter tells you why it's not selfish. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say I started a company, and I had a product, and let's say I called the product the iPhone, okay? And let's say I prayed to the Lord, and I said, Lord, bless my company. I want to be successful, and I want my company to succeed and be prosperous, uh, is that extremely selfish? Well, think about it for a second. First of all, how many of you have iPhones? A whole bunch of you. And some of you have it, and you're too ashamed to let us know. So I'm praying for a successful company, but in praying for a successful company, there are a lot of customers who are happy, and they're happy to overpay the price, <laughs> right? They're happy that I make lots of money because they love the product, and they are extremely satisfied. In fact, they would probably even give me more money than what I'm asking. They like it so much. Secondly, I've got employees. Guess what? My employees also like the fact that I'm making money because now they're making money. And third, the government kind of likes it. <laughs> so so, so, so when, 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 when I pray for the success of my company, at, at first glance it might seem selfish, 
But underlying that, I'm actually praying, I want customers to be happy. I want employees to be happy. I, I want the government to be happy. I, 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 want, I, want, I want a successful venture here. It, it touches a lot of people. And I think when Jesus prays for his glory, that's part of what's going on. It's not only for himself, but the glory of God touches all of us, and the glory of Jesus Christ touches all of us. And we'll see that more in just a couple of seconds. It's not just selfish. Glorify me is not the height of selfishness. It's the very height of goodness and rightness and love, which takes us to point number two. Point number one is Jesus requests to glorify himself. Point number two, the rightness of the request to glorify himself. Notice, notice he says, glorify your son. Glorify your son. Jesus is uniquely qualified to be glorified by God in this way. In fact, only Jesus can be glorified by God in this way because he's the son. The other day I heard, I didn't hear Prince Harry say this, I heard it was reported in the news. Prince Harry said no one in the family wants to be the ruler of England. The only reason they do it is out of duty. They don't want to do it. Now, I like the fact that they're doing it out of duty. That's good. One of the reasons why Jesus goes to the cross is out of duty, out of obedience. That's not the only reason why Jesus does what he does, though. He does it because he loves it. And I would say this to Prince Harry. If you don't want to be the prince, give it up. Believe it or not, we don't need you. We can change the laws of England. We can put another family in as king. It's been done before. It'll be done again. The truth, is the, the truth of the matter is that anybody can do it. That's the truth of the matter. That's not the case with Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten Son, uniquely qualified. No one else can take his place. Only he can be glorified like this. In fact, John 1.14 says, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only, the one and only of the Father, or the only begotten. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only begotten son. Modern translations, his one and only son, or his only unique son. There's nobody else. I love in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 God is holding a scroll in his hand, and a voice cries out, Who is worthy to open the scroll? And it says in, the, it says in Revelation 5, they look everywhere in heaven. Nobody can open the scroll. They look on the earth, and no one is worthy to open the scroll. They look under the earth. I think that means everybody who's dead. Nobody's worthy to open the scroll. John starts to weep. Because he wants the scroll to be opened. On it, I think, is the plan of God for the earth. He wants the scroll to be opened. And he wants to be able to read it. But no one is worthy to open it. And finally, the angel says, don't worry. The Lamb can open the scroll. And the Lamb of God comes forward, Jesus Christ. And he takes the scroll. And he opens the scroll. He is the only one. Uniquely qualified. Uh, so if Prince Charles wants to give up the throne, I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> we'll get somebody else. But in the case of Jesus Christ, there's nobody else. He's the only son. 
Only he can be glorified. And he, he, he says he wants the position. He says, glorify me. It's right to have the position. He's the son of God. Point number three, the purpose for Jesus' request. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Let me shine and let me have all of this honor because I am going to shine on you, Father, and give all of the glory and honor back to you. Make much of me so that I can make much of you. Give me all your splendor and greatness so that everyone can see me giving splendor and greatness to you. Point number four. Jesus' request for glory is compared to God's eternal plan of redemption. You see it in verse 2. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Uh, we know that the gift of eternal life is dependent on the work of Jesus on the cross and resurrection. This happens the next day in Jesus' life. But Jesus is letting us see into the plan of God. And the plan of God is related to the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is given authority over all people. That happens after his resurrection. And so when Jesus says, glorify me, he is saying to the Father, give me the authority over everybody. Jesus tells the disciples after he's, resurrection, after he's resurrected, he says, all power has been given unto me. All authority has been given unto me. So go and make disciples. Now notice what Jesus does with the authority. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jesus takes, the, takes his authority and he gives us eternal life. Jesus gives us eternal life. Who does he give it to? He gives it to all those that the Father has taken and given to Jesus. So Jesus glorifies the Father by enacting the Father's plan of salvation. Now, this is a real bone of contention in the world today. This is huge. I think it's one of the main reasons the world hates Christians. One of the main reasons the world hates Christians is our narrowness. When we say that Jesus is the only way, they hate that. They hate that. Everybody does. But here's our problem as Christians. As we look at our Bible, we go, well, our Bible tells us that's the way it is. Our Bible tells us that Jesus is the authority over all people. And our Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who gives eternal life to those people. Nobody else does it. Only Jesus does it. It's narrow, but it's true. It is foundational to our faith that Jesus is the only Son of God. That's foundational to our faith. It is foundational to our faith that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. When he ascends to heaven, he sits at the right hand of God. That's foundational to our faith. That means he's ruling over the universe. It is foundational to our faith that Jesus gives eternal life to people. It is foundational to our faith that Jesus Christ is the source of eternal life. It is foundational to our faith that the cross of Jesus, his shed blood and his death, is the one and only basis of sins being forgiven. That's at the heart of our faith. Narrow, but that's our faith. You know, Jesus prays, uh, Father, glorify me. I think we should often pray, and you often hear me pray this. Father, magnify your son, Jesus Christ. Make Jesus famous. Glorify Jesus in the world today. 
because he is the source of eternal life. There's no other eternal life except for through him. Point number five, eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. You see it in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Um, I think part of eternal life is not just knowing God, but also knowing Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. To know God, to have a relationship with him, now you have entered into life. Uh, let me try to illustrate it this way. I don't, I don't see Hank Waringa here today. Oh, Hank's here. Okay, I'm using Hank as an illustration. Were you asleep, Hank? <laughs> Hank, Hank, Hank installs furnaces and air conditioning and ductwork in new homes, and you've been doing that for how many years, Hank? 41 years. Same, 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 same company, right? Same employer? Okay. Now, Hank loves installing furnaces. He wants, to, he wants to continue doing it as long as he can. Even after his retirement in, when he's 65, he wants to keep working. The problem is that Hank is going to live forever. <laughs> now, I don't think even Hank wants to still be installing furnaces in a million years. <laughs> I think even Hank would say, listen, I want to do something else. <laughs> I want to try my hand at something else in a million years. I want to be doing something else. E eventually, everything would get old, even something that you love. And I think that's why eternal life is knowing God, because God is inexhaustible. Everything else you'll come to the end of, and everything else you're going to get tired of, but knowing God, being close to God, is inexhaustible. He's an inexhaustible person. He is an infinite person. That's why eternal life is knowing God. You'll never get tired of him. There'll be always something else to learn, always another facet to discover. Only God is eternal and inexhaustible. Everything else becomes routine. And so eternal life is knowing God and being in a relationship with him. And knowing God transforms us so that we will become like him. Point number six. Jesus' request for glory comes after giving glory to God and finishing God's work. Verse four. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Uh, this, this isn't in my notes. Tom Kendall, do you have a little to-do list in your pocket? Tom always has a little to-do list in his pocket so that when he gets the job done, he can tick it off. <laughs> do you cross it off or check it off? Cross it off, okay. And every morning he adds a new list there in his pocket, cross it off. Um, there's something wonderful about crossing those things off your list, right? Wow, a sense of accomplishment. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, Father, you've given me my work, and I have finished it. It's crossed off. The work you wanted me to do, it's done. And what was that work? Number one, to live a sinless life and be a perfect human being. Crossed it off. Number two, to preach the good news of the kingdom, to heal the sick, cast out demons. Crossed it off. Number three, to call people to follow him, 
and to become disciples of Jesus. He did it. Cross it off. To be the perfect sacrifice and obedience to the will of the Father. Crossed it off. He's finished the work. It's no mistake that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, some of the last words that he says is, It is finished. Finished the work. I couldn't help but think, but this is also how you and I can glorify God. The big purpose of my life and yours to glorify God by finishing the work he has given us to do. Now, he has given you a job. Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance in order that we might walk in them. And I believe as we go through life, God has works prepared for us to do, for you to do. That's why he saved you, to do those good works. And he's got them waiting there for you to do them. So now finish the work. That then brings him glory. As you finish the works he's prepared for you to do. Finally, I've got point seven and eight, but let's just finish it up with verse five. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus' request is not blasphemous, and it's not revolutionary. Revolutionary in the sense, something new. Because this is old stuff. This is glory Jesus had before the world was created. And so he's requesting for something that he's already had. Father, glorify me like that. Now this morning, why did I want to read this passage with you? Number one. As Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. This is a passage about the glory of Jesus Christ. Number two, as we sit around the table today, we are thinking about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. He has completed the work. Number three, you and I need to live for the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Uh, Jesus says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And he emphasizes that. He emphasizes that I want it beside you, uh, right in your presence, uh, because I'm sitting right there beside you at your right hand. Only God can sit beside God, and that's Jesus Christ.